Blog Talk Radio.
My Apotep, Grand Rising and Better Love. You're listening to the Truth to Power show. We just got finished with drumming. And now we have Baba Kentu from Jedi Institute of Learning with us this evening. Well, how are you doing this evening, Baba Kentu? Oh, I am so happy to be back on your show and your platform, Sister Bev. I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Excellent. Good, 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 good to have you back. You always bring us information. Yes, yes, and I'm looking forward to doing that today. We got a a lot. I'm not really sure we're going to be able to cover it all, but I'm going to do my best. Okay, well, you got the floor. All right. Okay, well, we're going to jump well, right into it today. Started, huh? Before you, before you get started, Baba, uh, tell the people uh, how they can get in contact with you and about your institu- uh, the Jedi Institution. Oh, ab- oh absolutely. Thank you. Um Babakin II, uh, myself, the clinical director mm-hmm. of the JED Institute of Learning, which is an African-centered educational institution which specializes in the seven liberal arts, grammar, rhetoric, logic, arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. The best way to get information is just to go to our web website, JEDI Learning, D-J-E-D-I, L-E-A-R-N-I-N-G dot com, JediLearning.com. You can check us out there. Um, You can see videos, um, courses, um, and it's aimed towards educators, parents, and students. So everybody can get a little bit of something there with the information that we do. So we offer tutoring. We offer online private school, um, behavioral therapy, counseling, and what's become really popular lately that we've been doing is the digital detox. I'm working with a couple of families right now whose children um, are starting to exhibit problematic behavior, um, and we found out that it was basically because of the screen time that they were involved in. So mm-hmm. I'm working with those families on doing digital detoxes, and um, that seems to be a lot of our business right now because that is a really, really hot topic. So uh, definitely check out the website. Um, if you want to get in touch with me even more directly, you can give me a call at 909-576-0170. Um, and you could also email me at babakintu at jedilearning.com. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's who we are. That Those are the type of services we offer. Every time we come on Sister Bev's show, a number of families, um, parents, students, grandparents, reach out to us. Um, educators reach out to us just to um, collaborate or to to get services. So I have to really be thankful to Sister Bev, the Truth to Power Show, the family, the village, um, for definitely helping to keep this going because ultimately, and this is my personal perspective, if we are to change anything, it's going to start with the children. Um, And, you know, even though everything that we do is not geared towards specifically children, those are the most precious of our assets are our children. So we, we definitely want to focus there. And that's what we focus a lot of our energy on. Ashe. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh-huh. So today what we want to do, uh, we always want to give the uh, educational update. So we'll go into some things that's happening in education, just, you know, overall, such as the child labor laws. We've talked about those probably in 2017 when we saw what was coming. So we're going to talk a little bit about child labor laws. 
a little bit about affirmative action. Um, I'm sure you guys have discussed that with other uh, people on your show. The autism update. So we have to give you the new numbers on autism, and um, it, it's very interesting. I'm just going to leave it at that for right now. And then you might, might even touch on a little bit of a back-to-school shopping. But the title of today's um, show is Sports, Spells, and Spiritual Sciences. And what does that mean? So a lot of what we're talking about, we talk about these child labor laws. Well, we don't also apply that to sports, but sports is a full-time job for a lot of our children. Um, And nowadays, you even have minor leagues or what they call G leagues in the NBA that allow you to participate at a young age and get paid for it. So you are actually working as a child. You know, they're selling your likeness, they're selling your jerseys, they're selling tickets, so, and you get paid for doing that. So we want to talk a little bit about how the sports are involved, but also the ritual of sports, the spells that's involved in sports. Um, a lot of people will say, you know, I don't engage in uh, media or any type of media, but still tap into the sports world. And I don't see anything wrong with that from the perspective of, Sports, ultimately, is for the benefit of your body, the benefit of your mind, and the benefit of your spirit. If you look how they originally developed, which we're going to go into, and what it intends to do. Of course, in the United States and, and, you know, in the world at large, it's been commercialized. So you get sold basketball. You get sold baseball. You get sold football. But even if none of those existed, people would get into groups and then they would engage in various physical activities to bring themselves into a higher spiritual consciousness. So it's not all about, you know, people have one-track mind a lot of times when it comes to sports, but sports is literally uh, about fitness. Like I said, all three levels, mind, body, and soul. So we're going to talk about some uh, sports spells, some rituals, and how they all connect with spiritual sciences. So, you know, without any further ado, um, I'm going to go ahead and get right into it. Um, there was a, a gigantic, gigantic ritual that was about to happen, and it's ultimately been shut down by the Egyptian government. And the person who's putting this particular um, ritual on, a lot of people are familiar with, and that's Travis Scott. If anybody know, know who Travis Scott is, you know, just look him up. But Travis Scott is a hip-hop artist, and he has a baby with the Kardashians. He actually got two babies with the Kardashians. And, you know, he sold millions of records, uh, some, you know, music that you've heard probably in your own household that you definitely that your children are playing. Um, But what he's about to do, he's about to drop his new album called Utopia. And, you know, right off the bat, that's not, you know, nothing exciting about any of that. What gets exciting is that he was about to do a concert at the Great Pyramids of Giza called Utopia. It was supposed to happen two days ago, okay? Uh, What was that, 28th? The Egyptian government shut it down, and then I'm actually going to have to get into this article so I can uh, give them their words of what they're scared of. They shut it down because of what they thought was about to happen. Now, Travis Scott may not know exactly the power that he was about to put down, or maybe you do know. Um, as a matter of fact, one of his first albums 
what's called Owl Pharaoh, okay, Owl, O-W-L. Uh, and if anybody's familiar with the Owl in Kemet, you know, it's very uh, prominent, especially when you talk about the Perk M. Haru, or the Book of Going Into Light. It's basically everything that you see written up on the walls, um, up on the papyri, and it helps transition the spirit from the physical body on into the spiritual plane. So the M is the owl, and it means to go in or go out of. So when you say pert M Haru, pert is to go, M is into or out of, and Heru is the light. Okay, and Heru was the one of the sun deities, one of the falcon deities, uh, the next Haru, I should say, and he represents light. So the pert M Haru. So Travis Scott came out with Al Farrell back in the days. He went through a bunch of other albums that dropped, and then he finally came out with this Utopia that just dropped. So he wanted to do a, a concert at the pyramids, but this is um, what happened. The title of this article is Travis Scott's Egyptian Pyramids Concert Permit Revoked Amid False Satanic Claims. Okay, This is from the L.A. Times. So I'm just going to read a couple of pieces here just so you guys get right to it. The public service announcement, there have been no changes to Travis Scott's show in Egypt. Any reports to the contrary are false. We can't wait to celebrate Utopia with you in Egypt. The concert promoter and ticketing service, Tickets Marche, said Tuesday in a tweet. The announcement was made after the Egyptian Syndicate of Musical Professions revoked the, peer, the permit it had issued saying that the Sickle Mode rapper, that's one of his songs, Sickle Mode. Yeah, I think he did it with Drake. Rapper's July 28th show would contradict the identity of the Egyptian people, a statement that came on the heels of unsubstantiated claims that Scott promoted Masonic thoughts and carries out strange rituals during his live events. Hmm, what rituals could they be talking about? We'll get to that in a second, okay? So the Musician Syndicate, a local group, Responsible for their approving the permits, they're the ones who removed it. Okay, so they gave it to them, and then they they took it back at the last minute. When they finally, actually, they probably did some research and found out what what was going on at this time, and what he was really tattooed that was even more ancient than probably even he know. Okay, says Scott Thirty Two was accused online of allegedly being affiliated with Freemasonry and being involved in. Anti-Egyptian Afrocentrism agendas, satanic rituals, and actions that were perceived as violations of Egyptian societal values. So I'm going to leave it there, but I want to go back to that term that they just used. They said, yeah, he's associated with Freemasonry. We all know that Freemasonry comes right up out of ancient comedic sciences, so that's not a surprise. But then they say anti-Egyptian Afrocentrism Agendas. What is anti-Egyptian Afrocentrism? If Egypt is in Africa, how could it be anti-Egyptian and Afrocentric at the same time? What they try to say is anti-Arab African-centeredness. Okay, they're not saying anti-Egyptian. Okay, that's that's what they really you know if you look between the lines, that's what they're trying to say. But what rituals are they talking about? He gonna do, you know. Obviously, listen to the name of the album at the concert. It's called Utopia. So he's trying to do something to bring back the glory. Okay.
that we've had lost for a couple of hundred years. But that's all he wanted to do was just bring back the glory, you know, from his perspective. But it goes a little bit deeper than that when you start getting down into what time of year this is. And this is a show that we did actually a couple of years back. It was called um, The Serious Spells of Segment Season. We did that a while back. And we talked about the Drunken Segment Festival that takes place during this time of year. So what happens in this Drunken Segment Festival? And that's where we have to go to um, another little article I'm going to pull up real quick. Okay. So there's a book in ancient Kemet called The Book of the Heavenly Cow. And in there, there's this Drunken Segment Festival. First of all, who is Segment? Segment is the female Neturu of the heat, okay? She's a protector of Ra, who was the sun. Uh, she's depicted as a lion-headed deity, and she comes out around um, July 23rd up to about August 23rd, right where we're in right now, okay? We're right in the heat of that, during the hottest time of the year and during what we call Leo season. So, you know, later on it becomes Leo, but before that it was segment time, okay, segment season. And she represented uh, ferocity, sexuality, motherliness, um, beauty, also cutthroatedness. Because as we see here, inside the book of the heavenly cow, there was a story called the destruction of mankind. So what happened in this particular story? I'm going to sum it up for you. Basically, Ra, the sun deity, thought that the people were conspiring against him. So what he did was he got together with all the other deities, all the other gods, and said, look, uh, people are trying to take us out. We need to do something. I think we need to just go ahead and wipe them out real quick. You know what? As a matter of fact, I'm going to call my girl Segment to come through and bring the heat of the sun and start wiping them all out. So that's what the, you know, the, the gods said. Okay, cool. Let, you know, let's go ahead and do that. Too many people. <clears throat> Some of these people got to go. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Segment comes through and she's burning people up. She using the heat, you know, just thrashing people, eating people. It's just devouring. So everything is, is going good until it got to the point where they like, the guys is like, you know what? Uh, she literally about to wipe out mankind. And if they go, we go. Because, you know, essentially, we made an image of them. So they said, okay, you know what? We got to do something. We got to stop this. So what they started to do, they said, you know what? What we're going to do is take some of this red ochre. We're going to mix it with beer, and we're going to pour it into the Nile River. She's going to think it's blood, and she's going to drink it up. At that point, she's going to get drunk, pass out, and calm down, and then we'll save mankind. And that's exactly what they did. So they poured the red ochre into the Nile River, poured some beer into it because, you know, they was good for drinking beer, beer, wine, and all that. She drank it up, passed out turned into Het Heru, which is just another form of her with her cow's head, but obviously a cow is much more docile than a lion. So she passes out and chills out, and nevertheless, humanity is saved. Because of this, every year during this time, they had what was called the Drunken Segment Festival. And during that festival, all type of stuff happened. Um, the, the beer was drank. They uh, partied, turned the music up. Uh, they had sex all over the place. They worshipped. 
and I'm going to read a little bit about the day of the celebration from this article I got. Wait, what is this article called? Provocative Yet Sacred, the Ancient Egyptian Festival of Drunkenness. It is from Ancient Origins, um, and I'm going to slide on down here to a section entitled The Day of the Celebration. So the Festival of Drunkenness is celebrated on the 20th day of Jehudi, which is the first month of the Egyptian ancient Egyptian calendar. And real quick, let me take a step back. July 23rd is supposed to be the first day of the Egyptian New Year because that's when the sun comes up and the Nile starts to flood again. So they started it right now. We end the New Year's time for ancient Kemet, okay? So when they say the first month of the ancient Egyptian calendar, they're talking about right now, the 20th day of that first month. So I'm going to continue. The festival of drunkenness was a communal affair on one level. The celebrations took place in temples. On another level, this festival took place in people's houses and shrines. Typically, the participants of this festival, festival will be served lots of alcohol, get drunk, and fall asleep. It was not regarded, however, as a social drinking session, but was a sacred event. In the temples, the celebrants would be awoken by the sound of drums and music. Upon waking up, they would worship the deity, Het Heru. And we told you why she was worshipped. Other aspects of the ritual celebration included dancing and the lighting of torches, which was performed in the hopes that the devotees of the goddess would receive an aha moment from her. Another activity believed to be undertaken during the festival was sex. In a hymn regarding the festival, there is a phrase, traveling through the marshes. And it has been speculated that this is an ancient Egyptian euphemism for having sex. So, this is what they scared of. They're not shutting it down because of no anti-Egyptian Afrocentrism agenda, unless they know that this is what we're really talking about here. So Travis Scott wasn't about to really do utopia. He was about to do the Drunken Segment Festival, raise people awareness up through the powers of sex magic. They couldn't have that. They, they broke down, um, and they eventually ended up canceling it. So the article I was reading from you earlier said that the cancellation was a hoax. It was fake. It wasn't happening. It was still going to happen. Two days ago, they had to come out and say, you know what? We can't have the festival. So they were successful this time in shutting down the celebration, although Travis Scott did say, I'm still going to do it. I don't know when he's going to do it, but he said he's still going to do it. Hopefully he pick another powerful time so we can get back to these rituals that we need to be doing. So that's just a little introduction into uh, what we're talking about today, what we're dealing with. And some of the forces that, you know, are still conspiring against us, that we still need to uh, participate in our rituals to get back to what we need to be doing. You know, this is some things that also our children need to know about. They know about Christmas. They know about Thanksgiving. They know about, um, you know, uh, what is in February, Valentine's Day. Why they don't know about the uh, Drunken Segment Festival that's happening right now. This is part of their history, Okay. Um, it ain't like you got to start it at 16, 19, when you got dropped off here. You just got to celebrate Juneteenth. You know, I respect Juneteenth and all that, but that ain't it. You know, it don't start right there. We can take it all the way back. So this is an easy way to slide them on in 
to a little bit of history, a little bit of their own history. They know who Travis Scott is, is, and if you could talk to them about what just happened, as well as how it relates to their ancient history, they will be much more interested in tapping in to their own spiritual sciences. So that's just a little introduction into what's going on. But it really don't stop there, because I don't know if you heard, Sister Bev, about the comedic uh, exhibit. I think it's in it's in a Dutch spot, but they are tripping mm-hmm. over that. Have you heard about that? It's called Kimmet. Uh, I don't think I heard about that. What what, what they're talking of? Why they tripping over that? You say it's where? Okay. I think it's in a Dutch. In the Dutch Museum, okay. as a matter of fact. Okay. Yeah, it's in the Dutch Museum, but they having problems with that. So I'm just going to quickly slide over to um, a little little article I got on that whole situation. And this one is, um, you know what? Actually, my queen brought this information to me. She knew I was doing a show. <clears throat> she was like, are you going to be talking about this? And I said, talking about what? She was like, you know, <laughs> they out here doing it again. And I said, wait a minute, what are they doing this time? So she, you know, hooked me up with this little article, and I just want to, uh, you know, bring the family a little bit more information on this because, you know, I'm not sure what is going on with these people, but they're losing their minds. But this article is from Africa News, and it's called Dutch Museum Exhibit on Ancient Egypt in Music with Beyonce Enrages Cairo. So they they really lose it. Well, what's happening actually is the cat is out the bag. They've been hiding the information for so long, and with social engineering media and all that, a lot of information is getting out and people waking up to who they really are, and, you know, it's messing up they game. So they're they losing it. Remember, I think it was about six months or so ago, I called in to a Robert X show and talked about how they, they wanted to keep Kevin Hart from performing in Egypt because he said – that you know the original Egyptians was black. Just for for that, actually, he said we need to teach our children their original history, and because of that, they tried to keep him from performing in Egypt. So that was a while back, about six months ago. Right. But this is I even more of that. Okay, you remember that? Okay. Mm-hmm. So it, it continues, and this is all in one year. This is all happening in one year, so it's coming to a head. So I'm gonna read a little bit of this real quick. In the Dutch Museum. The sound of hip hop blares out next to a sarcophagi and statues, and what curators say is an attempt to show the influence of ancient Egypt on black musicians. But the Kemet exhibition at Leiden's Rij Riks Museum van Uheden, and it's, you know that's their language, but it's called the National Museum of Antiquities, has enraged Egypt, which has reportedly banned the museum's archaeologists from a dig at a key site. And this is what they say. Egypt's Antiquity Service said the museum is falsifying history with its Afrocentric approach, which seeks to appropriate Egyptian culture, the Dutch media reports. The museum said it had, meanwhile, been hit with comments on social media that were racist or offensive in nature after the, blow, uh, after the role blew up in Egypt. Okay. And, and this is actually what I'm seeing, too. A lot of the pushback starts online on the social engineering media. It could be bots for all we know. These might not even be real people making these comments. 
So they use these comments as fuel for why they're doing what they got to do. Not their own research, not their own information, but people commenting on social media. Ridiculous. So I'm going to continue, though. And so what was meant to be an empowering celebration of Egypt and hip-hop, jazz, soul, and funk has instead become a culture war. Assistant professor at University of Amsterdam, specialist in political geography with a regional focus on the Middle East and North Africa, analyzes the reactions. From what I can see, it has been sort of viewed in a very particular light by the government back in Egypt. I think it is important for us, as you say, kind of move away from this more Eurocentric perspective through which Egypt's history has been viewed, Dr. Ali Hamdan said. So you got somebody right here who know what they're talking about. He telling you, uh, wait a minute, maybe y'all had it twisted the whole time. Maybe they know what they're talking about. The, the exhibition explores music by black artists, inclu- including record album covers, photographs, and contemporary artworks. There are walls of album covers showing the influence of ancient Egypt on artists, including Tina Turner, Earth, Wind & Fire, Miles Davis, and a spe- special interactive video installation. Egyptian authorities denounce a desire to assimilate their historical heritage with U.S. black culture. So they say it's not only about kind of African-Americans taking Egyptian culture. It's about a very wealthy commercial project, that is to say Hollywood and other kind of related industries doing that. So they even see that Hollywood is jumping on the board because they have to, they got to tap out at some point. They can't keep the hoax up for too long. So the perception is that there are these wealthy Hollywood elites who are kind of taking advantage of Egyptian culture and kind of rewriting how they view their own identity. So there are a lot of layers to this, I think, that are worth keeping in mind. The museum itself has insisted it aims to show what scientific Egyptological research can tell about ancient Egypt and Nubia, as it also aims to work as it also aims to works are presented to show and understand the depiction of ancient Egypt and the messages and music by black artists. The curator of the exhibition, Daniel Solomon, is an Egyptologist. So the person who put this together is an Egyptologist, and he knows what's going on. So you can go ahead and continue to read that article, um, get a little bit more information on it if you want to, but you can just see. Well, What's the name of it again, Baba? It, it, it says Dutch Museum Exhibit on Ancient Egypt in Music with Beyonce in Rages Cairo. And it's from com. So definitely check that one out. Um, yeah, they, they go on to talk about uh, Beyonce in here, you know, because a lot of her stuff is up in there. Obviously, Jay-Z, because they had to watch the throne. And they were sitting on thrones from ancient Kemet. They even talk about Kemet meaning the black land. So, you know, it, the gig is up. They need to just go ahead and tap out, give it up, um, because here we yeah, go. I saw, I saw um, on TV or some, a documentary or something I was looking at, and the, same, the, the uh, government of Egypt, they got upset because they were saying that it was 
us that was the original Egyptian, and they was like, no, no, that's a lie. No, it was, uh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) in the camera. (laughs) Yeah. Right in the camera. Mm -hmm. Just like Drake said, lying straight up to my face. (laughs) Yeah. No, you're right on it. I I don't know what you was watching, but I need to find that one as well. Yeah, just to add it yeah, to the, the okay, list. Yeah. Okay. If I find it, I'll send it to you. Oh, please. Yeah, please do. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, Zahi Hawass, who was, he used to be the curator of the, um, I think it was the National Egyptian Museum. And I think he was like the lead archaeologist out there. He actually ended up getting removed because he was dirty. He did a tour mm-hmm. where he went to Detroit. He went to Chicago, basically all the major black areas, L.A., San Diego, to try to denounce the fact that ancient Egypt had anything to do with black people, period. So mm-hmm. I know a lot of people that I know went to those um, talks, passing out pamphlets, um, you know, um, shouting them down, talking to the people, bringing their own information. And, you know, that's the type of stuff that we have to do when people are doing these tours, spreading real falsification and lies. So, right. you know, it was good to see the brothers and sisters out there actually doing that, that good work. So, um, yeah, but they they mad. They are really, really mad mm-hmm. right now, and um, they losing it. But that's not where it stops, okay? It, it, it continues, and this is where it really gets good. And this is kind of where we start heading into sports a little bit before we go back into education. Recently, we had the NBA draft. Of course, another ritual, another sports ritual, and that's basically when – uh, the new players, the new stars, get drafted onto a team. The two of the top five picks were a set of twins. Those twins go by the name of Amon and Asar Thompson. If you know who Amon and Asar are from history, Amon is the oldest deity that we have on the planet that we know of. He originally was from Nubia and then got adopted by ancient Kemet, means the hidden one. Amen or amen is said at the end of all three major religious prayers. You say amen at the end of Christian prayers, end of Hebrew or Jewish prayers, as well as at the end of Islamic or Muslim prayers. So Amen is all through it. And then Asar is the deity of the underworld. So Asar, obviously, was the first one that was killed and resurrected got into a fight with his brother Set. Set conspired against him, had him killed. Um, he resurrected, but then his son, Heru, came and balanced out Set and uh, raised his daddy back up to his high status. So you got um, Amin and Asar drafted number four and five in the draft this year. And I just want to read a little bit about these two brothers because um, the what they're talking about is these two prospects that they've never seen. Like, where where is this little piece at? I wanted to wear. I wanted to read to y'all. Um, okay. I saw them and their mother, and she was standing like between two towers, two pillars. Right. Okay, so you know they who they are. So okay, tall. you know. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, and if you look at them, they look like they came. Actually, they don't even look like they came out of Kemet. They look like they came out of straight Nubia. They got those mm-hmm. slanted eyes. They got the real hard yeah. cheekbones, you know, um, sharp yeah. features, 
afros, nappy, <laughs> looking beautiful, <laughs> just, just dark complected. But, it, you know, it says out here, it says right here, um, the NBA has had several sets of twins, beginning with Tom and Dick Van Arsdale, who were drafted in 1965. They went on to become three-time All-Stars. More recently, Brooke and Robin Lopez, reliable contributors, and then Markeith and Marcus Morris, who also have proved to be assets to their teams. But the league has never seen twins of this age with this kind of upside. Amin and Asar are ultra-competitive 6'7 guards with video game athleticism, scoring prowess, and near 7-foot wingspans. Amin's a 6'11 and Asar's a 7 feet. Scouts praise their high basketball IQs, elite shot blocking, and tenacious defenses. They move like much smaller guards. And if you – I still to this day play basketball at a very high competitive level. Um, I play against Division One basketball players all the time. When I watched them play, I went to the NBA Summer Leagues in Vegas this year to watch them play. And when you – they're going to be beasts. They're going to be absolute beasts. I'm a big fan of basketball. Like I said, I still play. And when I watch them play, it's um, it's kind of graceful. They don't really play hard. They just play smart. They just kind of all – they just kind of know what to do. It's kind of come like second nature to them. Um, they had an older brother who was really good, and he said at eighth grade, I could tell that they were going to be, you know, uh, phenomenal. And, you know, this is what ended up happening. So um, many point out how high the two can jump. But the beauty of their games is the finesse with which they leap, how quickly they leave the ground, how long they hang in the air. They simply float. But it's the intangibles that might ultimately distinguish them from their peers. So the gig is up again because if you got people at this level playing at that level, you know the little kids is looking up to them like, I'm an Asar. I'm going to name my kids that. I'm in the star. What does that even mean? Where'd they get them names from? And that starts a whole other rabbit hole for them to go down to. So the we did we also did a show on names a while back and how important the name was. Um, and the name going all the way back to a science to where if you knew the name of somebody, you had control over them. If you knew the name of certain deities, you had control over them too. So a name is extremely important. And we talked about at that time that the number one female name on the planet was Sophia. And Sophia is obviously the star Sirius, which has just risen on July 23rd to start the Egyptian New Year. So the name is powerful. To have these two brothers, twins, cosmic twins that can fly, literally. They just said they can float. You know, it speaks volumes to what's about to happen. And, you know, and it all starts with the hair. Looking at they they froze. It's just beautiful to watch them out there playing, and not worried about what they look like. You know, they ain't got a, they not braided up. They ain't got no processes mm-hmm. in there. No Jerry curls. No nothing. It is out no there ball ball head. No ball head. No no face. No tape. <laughs> no lineup. No nothing. It's just raw. So I'm, I'm just loving it. I'm, I'm gonna have to get, get what their team did they? What team? I I didn't see what team that they were on. Oh, well, one of them is over there with you and playing with the Detroit Pistons. So you got really? one of them. Yeah. Okay. So you got one of them who went to exactly where he should have went, right to Detroit, okay. the, our current black land. And okay. then one, the other one went to Houston, I want to say. So another okay. black land, as a matter of fact. So they both exactly where they need to be. 
But I'm also glad you asked me because I almost forgot this part. What team did they play for before that? Now, these two, they didn't go to college. They went straight from high school to what they call the G League. So they are part of these uh, child labor laws, okay, because they work in as minors. They were playing professional basketball as minors already. But the name of their team even <laughs> is spiritual. They played for the what they call the OTE, Grim City Reapers, and their mascot <laughs> is the Grim Reaper. Wow. Okay, you might say, well, what's the whole point of that? The Grim mm-hmm. Reaper is a later version of a Sar, basically a lord of the underworld. Mm-hmm. So they already was attached spiritually, you know, through this particular ritual to something that is way beyond them. They went to the Grim City, and I think that's in Atlanta. So, you know, once again, another black land. They playing mm-hmm. for the Grim City Reapers, and you got Ahmed and Asar with a mascot as Asar, balling out, balling out of control. So, you know, it's, it's spiritual all the way around. So I can't wow. wait to see yeah. where this story ends up. But, and you know, the, system, the system that we are in, I think that that's where they are using their spells from the underworld mm. on the people. Interesting. That well, I mean, you got to fight fire with fire. Mm-hmm. They, they want to go well, to the underworld. That's the power is that the underworld Thank is you. like okay. the, the that's like the root of the tree and the root of the vest. That's where where the power mm-hmm. is at. Oh, I like I like that. That is the root of the tree. Like you said, that's where all mm-hmm. stems from. You can't yeah. get no light unless you got darkness first. That's right. You know, that was a perfect segue. And, you know, these two brothers embody that. And they're not the only two that have these powerful names that's coming out. Like I said, um, I think I called about a month ago into uh, a Brother Rob show, and we were just talking about how many people, you know, got African-centered names that's out in, in popular sports today. We went through, uh, I think it's a, a tight end. This is a white boy, but he's a tight end for the Chicago Bears. His last name is Kimmett. <laughs> You got, back in the days, you had Antoine Randall L., who used to play basketball and football for the University of Indiana, and then went on to play uh, for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. But Randall L. is actually a Moorish name. You put the L at the end, you know, that's God. So you could tell his family was was part of the Moors. You had, back in the day, a point guard for the UConn Huskies, and he played for the Chicago Bulls. His name was Khalid L. Amin. So his name was God Ahmed, Amin. So, you know, he was affiliated somehow with the Moors. And then even more recently, you got somebody who plays for the Detroit Lions right now. He he went to USC. He's from out here, as a matter of fact, Um, from Southern California. His name is um, Amin Ra St. Brown. And what I want to do for the people, I want to play a little clip from him because when I went to just do some research on him and I came across this clip, I said, I've got to play this for the village because they need to hear that these people are out here. You think everybody that's running around with a helmet on is somehow a disgrace to all black humanity. It could be no further from the truth. If you listen to some of these brothers, if you listen to Ahmed and Asar talk, they're not the same type of athletes that we grew up with that can barely put a sentence together that can, you know, took too many blows to the head. These brothers is extremely knowledgeable. So this Amin Ross St. Brown, 
I'm gonna play you a little clip about himself and his upbringing. It's only two minutes, so um, turn, let me turn this up real quick. And, and here we go. Okay, here we go. Okay, hold on. It's um, skipping a little bit. I'm going to let it catch up. I'm going to start it back right now. Family, uh, my dad was a two-time receiver. My mother's from Germany, so they met out in Germany. Oh, see, the, the forces must be hating on us right now. They're not even letting it play through. Here, let me, uh, let me try to restart it real quick. See if I can get a little better version of it. But, yeah. He's going to talk about his upbringing, his father, and his his whole family. What he was just talking about was the fact that he speaks two different languages right off the bat. Um, actually, he speaks three. He speaks French, German, and English, and he was kind of going through a little bit of that. So, okay, here we go. Let me try this again. I was kind of a unique family. Uh, my dad was a two-time Miss Universe, two-time Mr. World Bodybuilder. So they met out in Germany and decided to come. Mm. Yeah, they, they hate on us today. But that's okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pull it up on another medium, but I'm going to keep going with the presentation. And once I get it up on this other medium, I'm going to go ahead and play it for y'all because, yeah, y'all got to listen okay. to this real quick. But, um, yeah, it's just amazing the number of, you know, brothers that have taken back control of their names. And you know what, Sister Bip, I even got to tell you this. Me and my family just went through a name change where we got rid of our, you know, last names, our slave names, and mm-hmm. adopted um, our current names. So we just finished going through that whole process, and it was almost like a rebirthing ritual that we just went okay. through. Uh, okay. So, yeah, it was uh, – that was otherworldly for me. You know, to to experience. Um, my son yeah. was born four years ago. He was the first one to have the name because we never never gave him the old name. So he was the first okay. one, and then we finally caught up to him. And now we're all on the same page right now. So it's um wow, it's a beautiful, good, excellent, yes, yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, you know, people around the world are really starting to tap back in. They're really starting to tap, tap back in. But um. Okay, here here we go. Let me, let me turn this one up for you. you know it. See if this is any better. Okay. Hello, I just to offer up there, Brown. When she's a receiver by the University of Southern California, when she said, I didn't I don't have a unique family. Uh, my dad was a two-time Miss Universe, two-time Mr. World Bodybuilder. Uh, my mother's from Germany, so they met out in Germany and decided to come up here and, and start a family. But my father really pushed me and my brothers growing up. Um, he was like our trainer. We went out to every family that we had. And then my mother focused more on this academic side of stuff. So she was making sure we were time for homework, getting good grades and whatnot. And I only speak German. Me and my brothers only speak German and my mom. So, kind of German, English is my first language, kind of simultaneously. I drove learning two languages at once. 
So, and then I went to the French school growing up, so I speak French, German, English, which is pretty cool. Being able to speak different cultures for me and my brother was huge for us. Because now, I mean, now we've been around so many places, we understand how people think, and many people from different places have different personalities, and that's just because of the culture and how they're raised. When my father was in college, he, he read that he would take this Jesuit class and really like what the teacher was teaching about, and saw these names that really caught his eye, and Almond Rose was going to start with one of them. So he got one, and he memorized the Egyptian saga, and then Osiris, the Egyptian god of the world. So he really took those names, and he believed in power names. That's something that my father really believed in, that our last name is Nate Brown, which he changed. His actual last name is Brown. So he had this name, the same from the morning, because Brown was his name, and Nate was the other guy who did So he had that same Brown to it. Uh, we've got a lot of opportunities in my life um, to go to. To college, which we got at our parents' day, which was for me. They um, went to college on the show, dude. I think we're going to talk to so many different athletes that we don't even do that as athletes, but we do every single day. But once we go out on the road, uh, we kind of need to separate ourselves from other people. My major is business. Um, at USD, the Marshall School of Business. It's one of the best business schools in the country. Uh, I want to have my own business when I'm older. Uh, I'm just involved in technology because college technology is so big now. So, to my degree, catching passes for your Detroit Lions. So, uh, yeah, he has uh, quite a few records already for the Detroit Lions. He said a lot of records mm-hmm. when he was out here at USC. Um, but if you listen to him talk, like I said, this is not somebody who is the typical football player that you would think about on the mic. He's talking about he want to get into a technology. His major is business. He said, if I got to wow. leave football early because I know it's not going to last forever, I'll do that in order to pursue my career and my dreams. So, once again, and, and this is the kicker. His daddy named him and his brother Amin and Asar. So, this is two sets of twins now named Amin and Asar that we have that's out there right now. His brother played college football at Stanford while he was at okay. USC. So, it's, it's just amazing. Oh, well, I you know, have even, to start paying close attention uh, to him being at right. the Lions. Yeah. Right, you right. You got you know. You can go see Amin two of them right here. Play for the, for the Pistons, and then go see Amin go play for the uh, Lions. Yeah, you got two over there right now. Oh, so it's yeah. It we out there. We coming. We definitely coming. So, you know, always trying to bring some positivity, some uh, upliftment for the people. You know, I know we talk about like I said, the sports and things like that. It's not always bad. There's a lot of good that can come out of it if you know what to look for and when you know where to look. And that's what we got to dig deep and do this research and bring it to y'all so y'all can have the information. Uh, so we're going to keep going. We're talking about sports right now, and we're talking about rituals. 
I mean, we started off talking about rituals and how powerful they can be. We talked about names. We talked about how they trying to stop uh, my man Travis Scott from doing the ritual out there in the pyramids, from doing the Drunken Sekhmet Festival. But you talk about sports, that's one of the biggest rituals on the planet. Not only is it seasonal, which is a ritual, every team has their own rituals. They have their own cheers. Obviously, they have their own mascots and names. And even now, if you look at the introductions to a sports event and you look at some of the handshakes these brothers are doing, this is extremely complicated stuff. I don't know how they can remember these type of handshakes for every single person on their team. I mean, we wasn't doing that back when I was playing, but it's like a two- or three-minute routine with each player on the team. You know, they got to be spending more time doing the ritual than they actually doing playing to remember all of this. But, it, you know, it shows the power of ritual. And psychologically, ritual is extremely important in sports because it gets rid of the anxiety. Because sports is highly unpredictable. You don't know if you're going to win. You don't know if you're going to lose. You don't know what might happen. You know, if you might get hurt, you don't know if, uh, you know, what might happen. You might break a record that day, have a terrific scoring day. So what the ritual does is it kills the anxiety by giving you control over what's going on. It gives you something to ground yourself, something that's familiar, something that's the same every time. So it gives you a sense of calm before the storm comes. So that's why you see people doing these rituals before the games. And there are some very, very powerful rituals that we really don't even talk about. I know when we first did shows on the Heka and the Heka, ooh, the words of power, one of the rituals we talked about was the um, sort of think of uh, the country. Can't think of the country, but they're called the All Blacks. The All Blacks. And they do something called the Haka. Number one, they call the All Blacks. They're the people from this country are called the Maori, 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 Moors, Moors. So the team is called the All Blacks. They essentially Moors, and they doing the Heka, the Hekau, the Haka. It's one of the most powerful rituals you've ever seen, and it's there to intimidate the opponents. So if you ever see it, they get together at like a, the halfway point, and all the teammates do it, and they're basically doing steps. And they're kind of singing a song, but it's a real aggressive song, so it got in chants. It almost sounds like um, it sounds like a karate class. If you ever been to a karate class and you hear them, kia, woo, hoo, ah, that's kind of what it sounds like. So it's a lot of yelling and a lot of um, you know screaming, a lot of a lot of bodily movements to it. But it's one of the most famous rituals in sports on the planet. But you know, obviously, it don't stop there. We did a little digging to find out some more rituals, famous rituals that you might, you know, be aware of. Um, one of them is Michael Jordan doing his powder clap. Before every game, he would pour a gang of powder into his hand and start clapping his hands right in front of the bench. That would help him get ready for games. He would also wear his old college shorts up under his game shorts to keep him ready. Okay, that was part of his psychological power, was that he was able to do that. Later on, that morphed into LeBron James throwing his powder up into the air. Okay, if you ever seen LeBron James' pregame ritual, he pours a lot of powder into his hands and throws it straight up in the air right in front of the uh, announcer's table. Okay, these things help you 
get ready. They give you, like I said, a sense of control for what's about to happen. If you look at a free throw ritual, almost every single player has their own free throw ritual. Bounce the ball three times, take a deep breath, uh, you know, spin the ball behind your back, whatever it may be, and go ahead and shoot, you know, shoot the jumper. So all this sets precedence to help you. But you also got some built in. If you ever seen the seventh inning stretch in baseball, it really doesn't have any particular, you know, significance as far as how the game is played, but it's there because of ritual. So at the seventh inning, everything stops, and they sing, take me out to the ball game. For whatever reason, when 9-11 happened, they started singing God Bless America, but I think they started to get back to take me out to the ball game. But that's a whole ritual right there. That's literally built into the schedule of every single game, okay? But then when we look a little bit closer at cheering for your team, being a fanatic or a fan, Fanatic means essentially that you've lost your mind in trying to keep up with something. Okay, You are fanatic about this girl. You're fanatic about this man. Um, you become a fanatic about your team or a fan of your team, so you cheer for them. But what is a cheer? A cheer is a spell. Okay, And what do I mean by that? Well, let's, let's go here real quick. This is just straight up Wikipedia. You can go ahead and look this up and just look, just put in cheering. Cheering is the uttering or making the sounds encouraging, stimulating, or exciting to action, indicating approval or acclaiming or welcoming persons, announcements of events, and the like. Okay, that right there sounds pretty harmless until we start getting to the deeper meanings, okay? The word cheer meant originally face. It comes through Middle English in the 13th century from Low Latin, cara, which means head. Now, if you know Spanish, cara means face. Okay? I remember when I was playing basketball as a youth, we had a teacher. He would uh, play basketball with us every time. Uh, and when he would make a shot with somebody, you know, right in somebody's face, he would say cara. That was, his, that was a Spanish way of saying in your face, basically. So instead of saying, oh, that was in your face. He would just say cara. So cara is Latin for head, so that later on becomes cheer, okay, you know, through a bunch of different transformations, but it eventually becomes cheer. And it's used all the way up until today, and obviously it's changed a little bit, but basically you are leading somebody somewhere. So you got all types of cheers. Some of your cheers are some of the stuff you might hear, like hip, hip, hooray. That goes back to ancient Hebrew, which means Jerusalem is lost to the infidels. So they would say that back in the Crusades when they were trying to take back Jerusalem from the, from the Arabs. So you're saying hip, hip, hooray right now without even really knowing that that's the ancient battle cry or a spell. Okay? Also, you got uh, hooray, hurav which also was a Norse battle cry, meaning heads off. So not only could you be saying, you know, Jerusalem is lost to the infidels, but you're also saying off with their heads. Things, you know, that are built into the ritual of the sports. It's all in there. It's all mixed in. And you got to tease these apart to really know what you're getting yourself involved in. Okay? When we talk about stuff like um, 
Ra, Ra, Sis Boom Ba. I know you probably heard that if you did drill team or cheerleading. The same thing. Sis Boom Ba was actually used by Johnny Carson. I don't know if you remember his show. You know, obviously I'm dating yeah. myself. But he would come out. See, you remember Johnny Carson? Um, yeah. He he would come out in a get in an outfit where he would have his head wrapped in a turban, and yeah, his name was. And do you remember what his name was when he came out in that? No, Swami or something. Close. His name was Karnak. Karnak. Okay. Okay. Karnak, and you know, you might say, "Well, what is Karnak?" Karnak is one of the ancient temples in Kemet. So you got the Luxor, and you have Karnak, also known by the original names Ipet Isut and Ipet Resit, and basically that means the holiest of the holies and the southern temple. So he would come out as Karnak, do Ra, Ra, Sis, Boom, Ba. Eventually that would get adopted into Princeton's cheer. Okay, so Princeton does a cheer that they've been doing, wow, since the uh, 1890s, and where they say something like that. It goes a little something like this. Hip, hip, Ra, 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 Tiger, 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 Sis, 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 Boom, 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 Ah, Princeton, Princeton, Princeton. Okay, so that's they cheer they've been doing for quite some time. But you can see that it has some ancient origins as well, especially Princeton, Yale, Harvard, all these old schools, the ones that was first established when they came over here, you know they tapped in. We already talked about the secret societies on each of those campuses and how they start. We did a whole show on that. Um, but if you're looking for real spells, go to Bay campuses. They got them all. But, it, it, you know, the list just goes on and on with just various uh, sayings and things that you do, you know, as far as ritual is concerned in sports. So how do we use this? You know, what, what can we really do with this information? Number one, know what you're getting yourself into. Know what you're saying. Also know that you can actually implement the power. You can make up yours right now. You can make up your own ritual. You can make up your own chants. You can make up your own cheers. You can make your own hekaua words of power. Matter of fact, some of the most powerful uh, rituals you can do are ones that you make up yourself. Because a lot of the yeah. old ones, they've lost a lot of they, they luster. And, you know, they've been used up so much that they need some new energy. So for you to make up a new yeah. one, you know, that that's the ultimate power. You know, a lot of people, that's, that's exactly what they call me to do. They'll call me to have have me write them a chant, a ritual, and I'll put them together for them. You know, actually, I had somebody from your um, show call me one time, and they was having okay. a particular situation, and they asked me, you know, could you just put me a ritual together? Of course, absolutely. Put it together, send it to them. Um, you know, I never heard from them again, so I'm assuming that things went well. <laughs> you know, so put it together. You know, you you it don't have to be nothing specific. You don't have to do no Amazing amount of research, whatever is in your head, needs to come out. And that's when I'm going to take a little trip over to our man here, and we haven't talked about him in a while, uh, Pascal Beverly Randolph. Oh, yeah, my favorite. Yeah, we, you'll say, okay, well, that's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> we got to go visit him. Um, We're going to go into his book, Sexual Magic, because if this is a time now, where we're doing drunken sec festivals, 
we're doing Utopia with Travis Scott, and they're trying to stop us from doing it. Part of the reason they're stopping us from doing it is because of the sex magic that's involved as well. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go to Pascal Beverly Randolph's book, Sexual Magic, and we go into the page, ooh, what page is this, 45, and it's entitled Sexual Magic Operations. And he calls it the Mahi Caligua. Mahi Caligua, that's his name for the it would, okay, I'll read the sentence. These operations are the basis of the mysteries known under the name Mahi Caligua and derived from the Euclidean principle that we spoke of at the beginning of this work, basically his sex operations. Okay, remember, he was one of the first people, actually, he was the first person to bring a Rosicrucian order to the United States. He was a, uh, he started off as like a, I want to say a sailor, but he would get on the boats with the guys that were, you know, a little bit older, and they kind of taught him how to sail. So he was well-traveled. He was um, royalty from Madagascar. So he was, you know, came from a direct royal lineage, traveled to London, traveled to the United States, traveled to Egypt, traveled to India, and he collected all of these uh, spiritual sciences, put them together, and wrote tons of books. Remember, he started uh, a school in New Orleans to teach black people how to read because they couldn't read when they got out of uh, slavery. So this is a man that's just absolutely amazing. Became and wasn't friends with he uh, Nick? Was and he, he was, a mulatto or something? Yeah, you know he was. Uh, and I don't know. I think maybe his mama was French or something like that, and his daddy was from, or maybe the other way around. I think his mama was of royal um, Malagasy descent or Madagascar descent. But yeah, he was mm-hmm. mixed. Absolutely, and he um, became good friends with who was that? Abraham Lincoln, just an ama- amazing person. Right, amazing, absolutely Abraham amazing person. Lincoln was supposed to be mixed too, wasn't he? That's that's true too. What did they say? Melungeon. They said that he was supposed to be mixed mm-hmm. with Melungeon, and these are black people with almost white features. Mm-hmm. If you look up mm-hmm. Melungeon people and look them up, that's exactly what Abraham Lincoln looked like. You know, and, and they kind of looked alike. If you put them side, they picture side by side, they kind of look alike, which is pretty mm-hmm. interesting. So he has, uh, you know, just some tenets here that I'm going to go through. I'm not going to read every single one or every word, but I'm going to give you an idea. If you want to put together your own sexual magic rituals during this particular time, this is how you'll do it. And he tells you how to determine the sex of a child if you want to. And actually, this is what I'm going to do. These are some of the principles that you could use. For You might say, what am I going to use sex magic for? I'm not familiar with this. This is all new to me. This is one thing you can do. You can charge a vault. And what is a vault? It could be a a, a, a charm. Let's say if you have a, a ankh that you wear or you have a particular ring that you like or you have a, a stone that you have, you can charge that so that it carries on some magical powers. You can regenerate vital force and reinforcement of magnetic fluids. Okay. You can produce magnetic fluids and put somebody else into submission. So you can basically um, seduce another man or a woman with this. You can refine the power of your senses. If you lost your smell during COVID, you can get it back by using various forms of sex magic. Uh, like I said, you can determine the sex of a child. And this is all listed here on his book on page 45. And lastly, he has, you can provoke superhuman visions, spiritual, 
and sublime energy. Okay, so you can see stuff and tap into other dimensions by actually engaging in this. And, oh, actually there's seven principles here. Last one is the realization of a project or of a special desire of the operator, which is you, in any order of idea. So basically whatever you want to create. If you want to have a, uh, you know, you work on a special project, you want something, you want somebody to leave you alone at your job. You want to, uh, you know, you need some money, you know, some practical stuff. This is what you can use it for. And I'm going to go through some of the things that you can do uh, that he talks about here, okay? So basically, he's, he's talking about this is some of the things that you should go by when you're putting it all together, okay? Obviously, hygiene. You want to take a spiritual bath before you get involved in all of this. Okay, so he's very, very keen on hygiene and also of having your thoughts clear during this time during this time. Keep your secret or keep secret your magical intentions. Silence concentrates your forces and multiplies them. This is why when you're entering into a preparation period for an act of magic, you should not frequent the society of mundane people too often and you should talk as little as possible. Okay. So basically, don't be running your mouth about what you're trying to do. Keep it to yourself. Put your ritual together, and it's more likely to be successful. Also, formulate your desires in advance. And it says, don't forget that the desire at the moment of coition, during which it is necessary to keep silent. So basically, when you start, keep that thought in your mind. Okay. Before, during, and after the act of love, keep that image in your head. Eat simply and prefer natural foods. Don't eat too much. Don't drink too many liquids. Avoid grease, alcohol, and spices. Sleep in a hard bed, head to the north, pillow flat. Your bedroom should always be cold and well aired. Okay? Take an air bath two times a week. So you're going to breathe deeply and retain the air in your lungs for as long as possible. Know that every additional minute you endure will add 10 days to your life, okay? Let me say that one again. Take a bath of air two times a week. Breathe deeply and retain the air in your lungs for as long as possible. Know that every additional minute you endure will add 10 days to your life, okay? Um, actually, I know somebody who's in the hospital right now. They're saying they don't have – there's not much that they can do. He said, doctors, the Western medicine is saying that. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm going to pass this on to them. Just breathe deep. Hold it as long as you can. Keep doing it. We're going to keep adding 10 days. Okay, every minute you can hold it, we're going to add 10 more days. Number 10, don't look at your woman or man too often and look only when y'all are excited. Sleep in separate bedrooms and do do not unite more than one or two times a week. The man must never touch a woman who is not sensitive to his touch, and he must never stop until she has trembled with desire at least two times. This is a recommendation of great importance, he says. Okay. Don't take a man or a woman if you're angry or ill. Sleep well. Don't forget, love is the root of life. We're almost to the end. We've got about 
only want two more, two or three more. The instant that the semen of the man passes into the body of the woman who accepted is the instant of greatest fecundity, the greatest power, the greatest emotion of the life of man. Okay, so you've got to keep that in mind. If a man ardently wishes a force or power into being and guards this wish from the instant that he penetrates into the woman until the instant that he withdraws from her, his wish is necessarily fulfilled. So we talked about that a little bit earlier. Keep it in your mind during the entire act, and you have a greater chance that it's going to be successful. Okay? And basically... All the forces and powers emanate from the feminine aspect of the divine, which also comes from every impulse. To draw forth the divine force in complete love, in real sympathy, in willing emotion, is to give beauty. So those are some of his tenets to developing your own rituals if you want to tap, uh, tap into the sex magic. He also gives you positions to tap into, uh, what they're good for, which ones are better than others. Um, and if you can, go get this book, Sexual Magic, Pascal Beverly Randolph. This right now is the time to have this type of information and to actually implement it. So we talked about the power of ritual, how it can be used, how powerful it is, and it's so powerful that people are scared for you to even do your rituals. We just saw that. We <laughs> can't even able to do right. You cancel this whole thing. The the concert sold out in a matter of minutes when it dropped. They didn't care about how much money they were going to make. They didn't want those rituals to happen. They said, we don't care. You know, most of Egypt's money comes from tourism. If people don't come to see Mm -hmm. the pyramids, they will just, you know, they probably just drive and die out there in the desert. But they don't even care about that. They're like, no, I don't care how much money we're going to get. I don't care how many people coming out. I don't care how much tourism this might drive. You not doing this ritual, period. We don't want you resurrecting that. So very powerful, powerful information. It, it, it permeates through sports. It permeates through sex. Every aspect of your life is ritualistic. The key for you is to tap back into it. Remember, psychologically, let's say you go to a psychologist or a therapist. What are they going to do for you? They're going to give you various rituals to do. They're going to give you things to say. They're going to give you acts to participate and behave in. They're going to give you a schedule of events. They're going to give you rituals. Okay, it, Some people might be scared of the word ritual, magic, power, only because they're not used to hearing it and you know used in those ways. But it's no different than you going to the medicine man, the spiritual healer, the the village healer back in the day and getting you a recipe to help any of your ailments. Aren't you just to help you, you know, in any aspect of your life? It don't have to be an ailment. You might just want to get better at something. You just might want to improve. That's a way to do it. So tap in. Don't tap out. Don't be scared. Um, because once we, you know, like we said earlier, the cat is out the bag. It's yeah. time for you to tap back in. It's time for you to tap back in. So, um, we've been going for about an hour, and it's now time to switch a little bit of gears. Uh, obviously, we came on here to talk uh, a little bit about education. We just want to keep the people updated on, you know, what's going on. Uh, 
in the education world. And one of the first things we talk about was those child labor laws. A while back we came on, I forgot the exact title of the show or why we are even talking about this subject matter, but we were reading about what are your children going to do um, because they're not going to school. You know, public school attendance rates are dropping significantly and really, really increased during the pandemic. People are still not going back to work. You know, we have an actually epidemic of people not working. They give it all kind of accolades for you to come get a job, um, you know, extra pay, extra benefits, remote work right now, but they still can't get enough people to work. And at that time, at 2017, we already said, well, you ain't going to have to worry about your kids going to school because they're about to start giving them jobs. Since nobody else want to work, the adults don't want to work, the young men don't want to work. We don't seem to have the same problem with females, but with men, especially young men, they just seem to be dejected. And this is across all races, even particular white males, not going into the workforce. Where else can you find some cheap labor? The children. We don't need to educate them anyway. The education we give them is garbage. Um, you know, it was designed to, to be garbage. But we're going to give you a job. This was back in, like I said, 2017 when Betsy DeVos, excuse me, was the Secretary of Education under uh, um, yeah, Trump. I think of his name. Under Trump. Trump, thank you. <laughs> Trump, oh, poor Trump. He getting indicted left and right. They really not trying to let him back up in there. Oh, my goodness. But, you know, at that time, we already seen what was going on. And just recently, mm-hmm. over 10 states have enacted loosening child labor laws. As a matter of fact, just some of the crazy stuff that I've heard recently is that even in like places Iowa, you can be 14 and be a bartender now. So you can serve cocktails at a age bartender. 14. A bartender. You can't even 14, drink. What it, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Listen to this. You know, it's craziness. They are um, increasing the working hours for those that are um, that have work permits. So, you know, they have like restrictions. Let's say you get a work permit at 15 or 16. They're now increasing the hours that you can work on those work permits. So where it used to be capped at like 10 hours because of school, because of health, because of right. sleep, like, no, you know what? We need you. So they've increased those hours. You can now work overnight. So they've been, you mm. know, done away with those restrictions. Uh, the age groups in a lot of these states are dropping. So as opposed to, actually, they're trying to get away or do away with the um, work permit altogether in a lot of states. And even the federal law is about to come under scrutiny pretty, pretty soon to just roll back the protections for child labor. And even before this started, I would say maybe about six months ago, we kept seeing, you know, child labor violations where they were having like little kids cleaning up like slaughterhouses or something like that. And this was just not too long ago. And all of a sudden, like right after that, you see all these states are starting to loosen up the child labor laws. And that's what they're going to be doing. Low skilled, low pay jobs. So we talked about them being greeters at Walmart, be, uh, operating the heavy machinery. Being, like we said, bartenders, um, slaughter, cleaning up slaughterhouses, um, mm. manual labor, all of this type of stuff, this is exactly what they're going to be doing. So it's already in 10 states. They already got legislation that they're trying to pass. So you got to keep your eye out to see where this is going because it might be coming to a state near you. So that's one of the things that you wanted to bring to the people that it's getting closer. 
to where it probably ain't going to be no more school. It's, school is going to be all privatized. You're going to pay, um, at least for public school, and your kids are going to be working. Okay. What else is popping off in the education arena? The affirmative action. I know you guys, you probably talked about this a lot on your show. How affirmative action just got rolled back. But I think, well, a lot of us, I don't think we really understood what the whole purpose of that was. It really didn't have nothing to do with black people. They've already written us off. They don't, you know, they're not tripping on us like that. What they were talking about, it was too many Asians in schools like Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and it was taking up all the seeds from the white people. So what they were saying was, we do not want to have affirmative action, so we don't want to have any more race-based, what do you call it, Um, enrollment. You know, with affirmative action, you got to say, okay, well, you got to have this many this, this many that. And it was so many, uh, you know, Asians that were qualifying that they were taking all the spots, but then they were being um, held down because, you know, let's say 100 of them qualified, only 10 were able to get in because that was the quota for them. So what they did was say, you know what, we got to get rid of this. We got to have more of our people up in there, and the only way we can do that is to roll back this affirmative action. So it didn't have, you know, people might have put that out there in the front, but you have to read through uh, first the lawsuits that was brought who was bringing them, on behalf of who, and what the outcome was. And, of course, who was sitting at the head? The white Jew. The first person to start yeah. suing on the behalf of other people was a white Jew who funded both of the lawsuits that ended up overturning affirmative action. So he funded it. He headed it. And it was mainly the idea that it was too many Asians taking up the seats and we have to get rid of these race-based enrollment laws. Okay, so now... And the agents said that about us. Right. Absolutely. You know, uh, a, a lot of the Asian groups didn't even want to get involved. They were like, we don't even want to be associated with, you know, with that. This ain't got nothing to do with it. So they weren't even tripping. You know, they didn't bring this lawsuit. That was him on behalf of them who didn't have nothing to do with it, which is funny. Yeah, you know, right. It's just funny how the whole thing played out. But the whole point is now, I mean, it ain't like we was filling up the seats anyway, but who knows if we'll get into any of these colleges, which we really shouldn't be worried about too much because even college is about to be obsolete pretty soon the way things are right. going. But now it, Harvard and Yale is going to turn from white schools into Asian schools because there ain't no limit now. They can put who they want to, when they want to. But one thing they didn't roll back was um, – legacy enrollment so if you you know if your family had worked there they still get preferential treatment you know your your offspring still gets preferential treatment they enroll back that affirmative action so people who are you know already kind of involved if you're a donor your people still get preferential treatment so if you give them money you still get affirmative action if your relatives have went there or have worked there in the past you still get affirmative action so they didn't do away with the whole thing it was specific okay. towards race. So that's just some things to keep in mind. Don't you know, don't think it was against you that they was coming after you. This is a mm-hmm. whole different situation. Mm-hmm. We wasn't even there, like you say. Right. Not even at the table. They weren't talking about that. Even mm-hmm. like I said, publicly they use it just to back beat you over the head with it 
to try to keep you submissive, but it didn't really have nothing to do with you. So don't even trip. Mm-hmm. Then, this is who. This is a hard one for me. Um, but every time that the CDC, CDC, the Center for Disease Control, updates its autism numbers, we come on the show and we give it to the family. And, you know, surprise, surprise, or no surprise, they have increased again. I think the last time I came on, that uh, two times, I, two times ago when I came on, it was like one in fifty something. This is nationwide. The last time I came on, it was about one in forty-two, one in forty-four. Now it's down to one in thirty-six. So we see that the rates are increasing. But the way they do it is they have, I think, about ten or twelve centers that they, you know, that they follow. And they kind of represent each portion of the United States. And the most surprising part to me was that the West Coast, or California specifically, jumped from like, I don't know, five or six out of those ten to number one by far. So in California, whereas most of them, like I said, overall, it's about one in 30-something, and they range from like one in 40, one in 30 to California, where you have like one in 25. So if you have two classrooms of, you know, 50 students, you should expect that at least three to four of them are going to be on the spectrum. Obviously, they're Hmm. not telling us what they think is causing it, but we always come with our own suspicions. And we even came with documentation last time where lack of vitamin D um, as a baby and in the womb was one possibility. Obviously, you always have to look at the vaccines as a possibility. Um, You have to look at, I think it was even syphilis, those who had like bouts of syphilis either before or during pregnancy. That was a a possibility. Older parents, especially older fathers, that's a possibility. So there is no one cause, but whatever is going on is happening more and more often. So I don't know if it's something in the water, if it's something that this generation before them was eating, that they was feeding us. Uh, matter of fact, have you seen uh, they clone Tyrone yet? Oh, yeah, I saw it. <laughs> I just okay, saw okay. It. Oh, you just seen it. What did you think? Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. I, we've been talking about that for a while, the cloning right. and and all the, and the chicken. Remember when they came out with the chicken sandwich and people was right. lining up to get the chicken? I mean, that that told you something right then. Uh, killing each other in line, fighting. Yes. Out of yes. control. Out yeah. of control. Ooh. And you know what's funny is um, in there, what were the three spots that they said they targeted? Los Angeles, California. Chicago, Illinois, and Detroit, <laughs> and, Michigan. <in> Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> it was like they was listening yeah. to the show just to create. I said, wow, yeah. man, that's that's a super yeah. connection right there. Yeah. That's gracious. But, um, you know, we talked about the hair earlier, and that was one of the things they said. He was like, yeah, we try to keep yeah. cloning them, but the hair is so damn stubborn. So, mm-hmm. you know, I love it when I see the brothers with their locks and they froze because that's showing a form of resistance. It always has been a form of yeah. resistance for us. So. But, you know, it could be in the chicken. It could be in the powder for all we know. We don't know what's causing these rates 
go up sky well, now I, like I think what what they doing is they putting it it's in the air now because look how the uh New York with the orange and we just experienced it here in Detroit. It wasn't orange but it was real smoggy. So they made mm-hmm. it show that we can't you know, some people was getting by because we wasn't wasn't eating meat and different stuff. Right. But now you breathing it. You know that and that has to be put on the table. That it's literally just in the air at this point. It's just floating around. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's Everything is on the table at this point. We can't rule nothing mm-hmm. out. You just gotta That's always right. stay on guard, protect yourself um, spiritually, physically, and mentally at all times, all three mm-hmm. levels. Because yeah, we we see that they will stop at nothing. So you know, and we have especially to be the like, same way. We have to right. not stop either. <laughs> that no, that's an excellent yeah. point. You know. We we have to be on that same list, like you said. Fight fire with fire. They want to come with some under yeah. um, underworld rituals. Hey, why yeah. should we come with them? Thank you. You know, so that that's what we got to be on. Um, it's just some some crazy crazy times that we live in and stuff that's going on right now. It's just uh, you know a lot happening, but as we talked about in the beginning, the show us a lot of reasons to be excited. It's a lot of re- a lot of things yeah. to look forward to. A lot of awakening that's happening. You know, we should be happy that uh, Travis Scott is trying to get his ritual back going. We should be happy that the Kemet is called the Kemet Exhibit. It ain't called the Egypt Exhibit in, in the Dutch mm-hmm. uh, Museum. But they got the, you know, they need to bring it out here is actually what they need to do. I don't know why it's in, in a Dutch museum. I don't know what they're going to do with it. Uh, we're the ones who need it. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, all this stuff that's going on, there's a lot of reasons to be happy, a lot of stuff to be looking forward to. So, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. We always try, like I said, bring mm-hmm. some uplift to the family, to the village, and hopefully right. we're doing a good job of at least touching on some things here today. Um, you know, we didn't know how long we was going to be on today, so, you know, we brought what we could, and, oh, you know what? This is um, a little thing that we didn't touch on, but I did want to bring to the family. And I'm going to take you right back to um, the sports real quick. And how we always talk about, you know, this and that about sports and to, you know, hate on it because it's been commercialized. But we need to go back to the origin of sports. Like we said, it's all about keeping your mind, your body, and your spirit healthy, providing a ritual that you can participate with other people, keeping your social skills up. And what I want to do is go into some of the origin of sports, okay? In this article, um, what is it called? It's just called Ancient Egyptian Sport, S-I-S. Just look up Ancient Egyptian Sport, S-I-S. And it, oh, okay. It's from sis.gov.eg. So that's where it's from. And it says this. And you're going to be surprised. I was surprised at a lot of this. Many of today's sports were practiced by the ancient Egyptians who set the rules and regulations for them. Inscriptions on monuments indicate that they practice wrestling, weightlifting, long jumps, swimming, rowing, shooting, fishing, athletics, as well as various kinds of ball games. Ancient Egyptian kings, princes, and statesmen were keen on attending sports competitions, which they encouraged and provided with the necessary equipment. 
Drawings on pharaonic monuments tell us that several thousand years ago, the Egyptians had laid down the basic rules for games, chose a neutral referee, a uniform for players, and a means of announcing the winners by awarding them different collars. Both winner and loser were met with ovation, the first for his superiority and the latter for his sporting spirit and spiritual sciences. And you know what? What I find interesting also, or just a few things about sports, is that it has a lot to do with, um, especially for the spectator, this testosterone. They were doing experiments that just come out recently that shows that when people watch sports, that it does alter their testosterone levels, and they do that by giving you know salivation samples. So they they test your spit for the amount of cortisol that's in it that shows about how much testosterone is in your body. What they found was if your team won, your testosterone was likely to go up. And if your team lost or was losing, your testosterone level went down. Not only that, but your chance of successfully mating went up, If you're, especially for males, if your team won. So, sisters, if y'all want to get some that night <laughs> – Make sure that your man team wins or that he at least think that they won that day. Because if you don't, it makes sense. You, it does. You know, it mm-hmm. absolutely does. You know, it, it, there's a thing called sex itself can become sports like. So, you know, it's all kind of a game. Um, life is a game, but especially when it comes to stuff like this. So, now, do you know, they the testosterone. Do they still practice? I know at one point the uh, the guys couldn't have sex before a game or something like that. Now, you know, certain people, they will. some studies do say that a, an ejaculation prior to a competition will lower the testosterone levels. But then others say that it lowers the anxiety levels. It puts you at ease and allows you to not be so rigid. So, you know, I guess it really depends on how you approach it um, and how you use it. If, if you're just doing it just for fun and you're t- entirely exhausted after that, you're not going to be performing as well. You know, that's why the male lion doesn't hunt. He fights. He protects the prize. Female hunts. And the main idea behind that is he's not going to be able to perform, sexually perform later, if he's spending all his day hunting. So she goes out with the kids and they hunt. And he fights with the other males to protect his pride. So, you know, mm. there's a lot of ways of looking at that. Um, you know, the research with humans is showing it can kind of go either way, you know. Um, I, you know, another thing that's kind of interesting is the colors that you wear during um, during sex. Or I'm sorry, during competitions. The team that's wearing red or in red uniforms typically wins, whereas the team that wears the blue uniform is typically the loser. So if you root for the Chicago Bulls, the Detroit, you know, uh, Pistons, mm-hmm. the L.A. Clippers, mm-hmm. you okay as long as they got the red jerseys on. Make sure they got the red jerseys that night if y'all want to do it. So just some things to keep in mind. Um, but, yeah, fascinating stuff when it comes to the whole, this whole sports psychology. Um, but, you know, here are some of these sports that are already, that were developed by them or us way back in the days. And the first one surprised me right off the bat, and that's hockey. I said, hockey. Yeah, me too. Who was they doing playing hockey? About it. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's craziness. It says, ancient Egyptians played a game that is similar to our present-day hockey. Drawings on tombs at Beni Hassan show players holding bats made of long palm tree branches with a bent end similar to that of a hockey uh, hockey bat. The hockey ball was made of compressed papyrus fibers covered with two pieces of leather in the shape of a semicircle. The ball was dyed into a more colors. Okay, so you was already playing hockey, although it wasn't on ice, thousands of years ago. Okay. They also had handball, where they had drawings of this sport are found on the tomb of Saqqara, 5,000 years old. The ball was made of a leather and stuffed with plant fibers or hay and made of papyrus plants in order to be light and more durable. It was seldom used for more than one match, so you used it for one game, and that was pretty much it. Okay, we all know that archery was practiced. As a matter of fact, Nubia, which was you know the mama of Kemet, was also known as Taseti, which means the land of the bow, because they were such good archers. So archery was something that has been practiced. You know, we know they've been excellent at that for thousands of years. And if it was a Nubia, it was before even Kemet was doing anything. So archery was a well-known sport in ancient Kemet and was often recorded on plates in ancient temples. These plates show kings and princes skill and accurate aiming at the target and their strength at pulling the bow. Gymnastics, they talk about the pole vault, tug of war. Okay, You'll find that in the Merorica tomb. So they show two opposite teams pulling each other. The javelin throw. But most people associate all this type of stuff with, you know, uh, ancient Greece or Roman Olympics. But no, they got that from you. Fishing, obviously. I mean, they, they talk about the Nile River all the time. So definitely fishing was a sport. Boxing. Thought they didn't have hands. You're right. We talk about Ptahotep all the time for his instructions that he left us. But also in his tomb, you got pictures of how to box. It says, in this picture, a player is depicted in a position ready to direct his blows with his fist to another player, who in turn tries to repel these blows. Pharaohs and princes watch the boxing match, which indicates that it was an organized contest. As a matter of fact, we had a big boxing match last night where, um, oh, damn, Earl Spence and Terrence Crawford fought. So, you know, it's, it's definitely still going. Weightlifting, getting swole. matter of fact, that's something that we saw in the – they cloned Tyrone. Every time they showed him going back into his, you know, his beginnings when he had to pour out a little libation to the man standing on the corner, he was always lifting weights first. You know, he's always hitting his uh, bench press with his homies around him. Lock it, dog, lock it. So he's doing late weight lifting for quite some time. The high jump. Uh, we just talked about how Amin and Nassar floated. They seemed to get off the ground so quickly from practicing that ancient high jump. Swimming. Who said black people don't like to, like to get in the water? Who said black people don't like to swim because they don't like to get their hair wet? That's all nonsense. All nonsense. You invented the sport of swimming. It's literally right here. Swimming was the favorite sport of the ancient Egyptians who made use of the river Nile to practice it. The Nile was not the only place for swimming contests. Noblemen's palaces had swimming pools in which princes learned the sport. The calm waters of the Nile encouraged youth to hold swimming competitions in which they could show their skills. Okay. Rowing. 
when you see rowing competitions now, you only think about Harvard, you think about Yale, you think about teams with a lot of money or schools with a lot of money that could participate in rowing. But this is something that you invented many, many years ago. Um, the floor exercises in gymnastics. I remember when Dominique Dawes got her first 10 a while back. Hey, it's in her DNA. They also had the rhythmic gymnastics that was practicing too. Um, they also had like something called tug-a-hoop. And the last one was the marathon. Marathon races were of the utmost importance in ancient Kemet, particularly during the celebrations marking the assumption of power of a new king. So basically, they had to show their fitness. Can you imagine uh, – who, who, what's, what's the president's name right now? I can't even think of his name. Um, the corpse. Uh, Biden. Can you imagine him trying to run <laughs> and show his physical prowess right now in front of the people? It will be yeah. an absolute yeah. laughing stock. Barely it just wouldn't walk. happen. Man, just <laughs> barely walk. So this was a, uh, for anybody who was running the country, you had to participate in this King's Marathon. As a matter of fact, I saw a good documentary. I think it was on Hulu or something on this particular marathon because they still run it today in ancient Kemet. Um, they take the same path, and you have to finish it in a certain amount of time because it was recorded on the temple walls that that's how long it took, you know, the pharaoh at the time to finish it, the nice suit. So it says one of the rituals of these celebrations was to hold a marathon run by the king around the temples before spectators to reveal his physical strength and his ability to rule using his body as well as his mental capabilities. Because running, especially a marathon, it's not just about how fit you are. You literally have to psychically push yourself into another place. You have to go into a runner's high to, you know, get rid of the pain that you're going through, to be able to control your breathing, to stay on a good pace, and also to keep the mundane act of running from taking over and making you want to stop. So it takes some mental, you know, faculties do that as well. History records that the Pharaoh, together with those who were born on the same day of his birth, very interesting, so everybody had the same birthday, participated in hectic marathons. No one was allowed to have a meal before covering 180 stages of his race. So those are just a few of the sports that we invented that are still practiced to this day. So don't let the idea that just because somebody gets paid, they got a commercial, and they being used to advertise this or that to you, that sport stops right there. It's the whole idea of a sporting event. You know, you want to put your children into sports not because you want them to go to the NBA or the NFL, because it develops their ability to, to interact with other people, to be a leader or a follower, to identify where they're going to be at, uh, you know, where they're going to fit into society. It um pushes them beyond their comfort zone. They're not able to do, you know, what they want to do. They got to pay attention. They have to participate so that they team, you know, it it, it brings people together because you all, all have to depend on each other. You know, there's something that's actually lacking in our community. So you have to depend on right. each other. So there's a lot of other benefits that come with sports outside of just selling you some shoes and um, some tickets. So keep that in mind when you're thinking about how you want to bring your children up, what you want to teach them, what lessons they can learn. 
And as a matter of fact, my, well, my four-year-old had, number one, he learned everything that he needs to know at home. Um, already adding and subtracting, already doing flashcards, can write, can read. Um, he's reading books. He read a lot a better than a lot of third and four, fourth graders that I know. And it ain't because he any smarter or that I'm any smarter than nobody else because that's just what we practice. Okay, you practice it, you'll get better at it. But you people always ask me, well, well, how does he get his socialization? He didn't already play baseball or t-ball. He didn't already play soccer. And he's about to start playing basketball next. And like I said, not because I think he's about to be the most fantastic athlete, but he's also learning those skills that they tell you you got to go to school for. When they're teaching you something totally different, all they need to know how to do is read, write, and count. They don't need to know how to have anal sex. They don't need to know that it's 14 genders that was just created. They don't need to know about, you know, LGBTQIA plus two. That is unnecessary in arithmetic. Even the Jackson 5 could have told you that. Reading or writing arithmetic, all the branches of the learning tree. That's it. That's all you need to know. Um, if you want anything outside of that, go put them into a sport. Go teach them, um, you know, an instrument. Go allow them to play into an orchestra. They can learn the same skills. So, you know, I know I've been talking a lot. Um, <laughs> we my do mouth have a hand raised. Oh, okay. I should have told you if anybody ever got on, tell them to hop on as soon as they can. I'm just all here talking. Right. Yeah, bring them on. No, good information, good information. Uh, the call-in number is 323-642-1586. Push the number one if you have a question or a comment. Okay, Philadelphia. Better love, Mr. Man, Better love, brother. Good Better love. Oh, better love, brother. Um, I'm driving in my truck. I don't know if y'all can hear me clearly. This little oh, sliding door yeah, thing is perfect. okay. Okay. Um, Mr. Bell, you know this right up my alley. So <laughs> I had did my DNA, you know, through my trueancestry.com. And it went outside of the percentages that, you know, all the other, you know, DNA testing gets. Um. A few things I found interesting, um, they said my ancestors was from the Valley of Kings. Ooh. Um, they said that I was related to King Ramses III. Okay. They said I was related to Kum Nat. I think that's how you pronounce his name, Kum Nat. Um, and also, um, it said that I'm from the tribe of Limba. Now, we know okay. Limba were the ancient Hebrews that went down into southern Africa. Right. So when we say, well, when the Egyptians get mad because Kevin Hart said what he said, which was right. true, they just mad because we're finally about to take our rightful place. And I actually yeah, feel that. Um, part of the reason, you know, how people be like, well, the Africans sold us out in slavery. Well, we weren't them. They knew that we were from the Egyptian area. They knew that we were from Kemet. Um, right. They needed the builders. They needed the they needed the builders. They needed the the smart people, and they needed the celebrity. And they had to come to right. us. So with all this information that you're given, it just holds true to what I already know. You know what I mean? Right. That's why we're able to excel so high because it's already encoded in our DNA. Right. Um, like this was powerful. I don't know. Have, have you ever heard of um, 
a brother on YouTube. His, his name is Crum. Spell it. Uh, C R U M B. Crum TV. No, I've never heard of him. So on Crum TV, you know he he do his little lectures and his little presentations, and um, one of the lectures that he had was the NBA. Be, I mean basketball being a free Masonic game. And he broke oh. it down to how it was a Freemasonic game, uh, game and all that. And it, everything that you said, just it all ties in and makes sense. Oh, and, um, man. I'm happy about um, Ansar and his brother Ahmed. You know what I right. mean? Like, we needed that. When I, when I first seen their name, I'm like, wow, this is spiritual right here. Like, right. this is really what part spiritual. Of the game is <laughs> Yeah, what part of the game is this? You know, <laughs> right. around the way in the hood, we know we know some of our brothers and sisters that have, you know, these ancient names right, and stuff right. like that. But as far as them being celebrities, like, right. you know, we don't have too many people at that celebrity status that has those those kingly names, those queenly names. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Or Absolutely. They tell you that... Um, they tell you that, um, you know, you're not going to be this, you're not going to be that because of your name. Um, right. And uh, later on, once I seen this girl, like this this girl I grew up with, right? Um, right. Her name, her name means Black Queen, right? Okay. But uh, in the African language, it's pronounced Shafiqa, right? Right. So we used to always bust on her about her name, like, yo, right. you ain't never going to get a job. So, like, your name is the girl uh, with some names. Like, she used to always tell us, like, yo, my name means Black Queen. Like, that's right. we used to be that's like, they right. don't say that. They just hear that your name is Shafiqua. Right. But, you know, her name was powerful this whole time. And Absolutely. I'm 35, so, you know, back then we was just coming into all this stuff and all this right. knowledge, but it wasn't you know, put into law. But now right. she wouldn't be ashamed of her name. At like all. She, she wasn't ashamed, but it was just, you know, it was, it was kind of annoying because, you know, you would get teased. Right. You know, she would get teased or whatever right. it might be. And, um, man, right now. And she sounded like she was on it, though. Like, it sounded like she was like, no, my name means Black Queen. She had the power. You yeah. know, somebody told her what her name meant, and even though people was clowning, it sounded like she was still standing, you know, strong on her square. Nah. I'm a queen. But see, her family was Muslim, and her last name was Islam. Interesting. So, that, that you know, she, she so, so, you know, her family was all, already tapped into the knowledge of right. self a little bit. Right. Um, right. But this was a powerful, powerful show. And I, and I just want to say, I think, I think us going us going to Kemet, us going to that region, and not just each in the hole and going to, you know, to go see the pyramids, even though you want to go see that. Um, right, right. If I'm pronouncing it right, we should all go to uh, Aswan. Yeah. As- Aswan is where all the black ancient Kemet people live. And you got uh, it. it's this girl on YouTube. This is a girl on YouTube. Her name is um, Eat, Love, Migrate. And um, she went there. And when you see the people, family, they look like somebody that live around the corner. Like, right. Us. 
You know what I mean? Um, just like you said, the men have those flat eyes, high right. cheekbones. Yeah. The ladies, they have our black women shade. You know what I mean? They yeah. have our yeah. rounded faces, cheekbones. They look just like us. And like I said on another program, just like the people from Aswan and people from Yemen, this is why they keep those people suppressed over there. Rap. If y'all you really know this, all the all the black Arabs, they keep them suppressed. And when right. they get a chance to get out and you see them, you would think they grew up around the corner from you your whole life until they tell you, oh, no, I'm from Yemen, or, oh, no, I'm from right. uh, uh, Aswan, or, or I'm from Eritrea, or I'm from Somali. Like, right. you would think that these people grew up around the corner, but they didn't. You know what I mean? They, they put right. in our face those Africans, no disrespect, they put those Africans with the peasy heads in front of us, Right, the ones right. that's like jet, 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 black, the ones that don't look like us, and they're, they're our cousin, but they're our distant cousin. That's not our modern ancient right, cousin. Right. They're our way distant cousins. You know what I mean? And right. it, it takes you to see other people like us to see, like, how far we're spreaded throughout the earth and see how our phenotype goes everywhere. Everybody possesses the E1B1. You know, mm, there you those go. of us that those of us that um attribute ourselves to being native to Turtle Island. Right. They still have right. an E1 B1. So we're Absolutely. all connected by this E one B one. Um and I think that's that's coming into understanding. I'm growing my hair for locks, right? But right now that's I right. have a fro. But but my fro is kinda like I use that coil brush, that sponge brush. Right, right. So it gives it that twisted, nappy kind of look. Yeah. And, man, I tell you, I get respect from these white people, like respect. Yeah, man, like, I'm telling like, you. <laughs> like they respect that. They respect people with dread. They respect people that's in their natural way. Um, the, the, I get most the of people my that compliments get the on my hair the ones that, from them. Right. Right, right. Like they like it. You know what I mean? They right. stare and they like well, I wish right. I you know, I wish I could do that. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. They're even going so far um they're even going so far as to do it themselves. Those right. those uh pipe cleaners, those you yep. know, those colored pipe pipe cleaners. Um yep. those those that don't have the Z pattern that come out their head, uh, they can get those pipe cleaners, twirl their hair around a pipe cleaner and then the pipe cleaner makes their hair nappy like ours. Right, right. It kind of coils so it up a little. Even they're trying to, right. So now even they're trying to do it. Um, yeah. I come across my people with locks came all the time. Right. All the time. Right. You know, the type of girls that I go for, like, it's those Afrocentric, she got the locks in, whether they be them fake locks or not, you know what I mean? Right, right. But she got the locks in. <laughs> right. She know it. She got she got cowie shells in her hair. Like there you that, go. That, that type of Afrocentric look, that's what gets to me. You know what I mean? And Man. with this movie, Jamie Foxx and the creator of this movie, they really don't know what they did. Like, you know, right. it's a black <laughs> exploitation <laughs> film. Uh, but how we love it. Yes, right. they did, Sister Bev. And see, I think we got to come to an understanding that black people, we learn through degenerate behavior. Right, at this point. I think, 
Right. At this point, we learn through degenerate behavior. If you look at either either you learn what not to do or what to do, um, you know, we always bust on our sisters and say, damn, well, they got weave in their hair, they got this, they got this, that, and the third. But if you think about it, and if you think about the movie, he couldn't get to her because she had a wig on. Right. Right. Now, what's the spiritual significance of that? A lot of girls that I know, they say they like wearing weave because it's like a hat. It's more of a hat. It's a it's a protective hairstyle. And if you think about it, their hair is corn rolled up underneath of the weave. Right, right. Or underneath that cat or unit or whatever the heck they call it now or whatever. But it's right. a protective hairstyle. And a lot of our sisters, when they wear their real hair, black girls nowadays don't have one-inch hair with the little ponytail at the top. Most of our sisters have real long hair now. Right. Their hair is luscious, and it's, and it's because they're keeping those protective styles. And if we go back to Kemet, um, a lot of those, a, a, a lot of things that we see, they were braided wigs. They were wigs that they were wearing back in the day. You got it. So, you know, you got, I got some articles. We, 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 I don't, I'm, I'm sorry, to you off, but. No, no, I, I'm going to let you go right back to it, but I got articles that I, I came across maybe two or three years ago that shows that they used to wear box weaves and wigs. I mean, we all knew that they, they wore wigs, yeah. we didn't know that they wore weaves, but they finding out now that even they was wearing weaves, that, and they would call them the Nubian yes, wigs. They so they were trying to get back to the Nubian hairstyle just by putting those weaves and wigs on. So now you continue, but I'm just sitting here listening. Yeah, um... You know, we got to – through the degeneracy and through the craziness that we're going through, we rise because we rise out of chaos. Right. Um, okay. We're not, we're not linear people. You know, we're, we're circular. We don't think just one way. Just to think one way, that makes you an alien. Um, I go back right. to Stargate SG-1. And they came on this planet, and all. And if you think about Stargate SG One, any planet that they were, you know, fighting against, or any people that they were fighting against, they had one track minds. Um, mm, got it. They could only do things in one way because that's how the creator made them. And if you think right. about Stargate SG One, um, the Grays. They all like the Grays was the, was like the most powerful ones, but the Grays always had to go get the had to come get the Stargate SG one unit because they thought outside of how the other humanoids or how the other creatures in the galaxy thought because their process was was linear. It wasn't circular. They needed human beings um, mm. to add that extra bit of emotion into it. Uh, right. Add the extra stuff that their creation didn't hold. Um, so you know, it's, it's only mm. I say it all the time is it's only one way up. Um, right. And and homeschooling homeschooling is is great. But I wanted to know is do you have is it a way to do group homeschool? Because it's like, funny that you asked me that. Uh, because that's a question I've been getting a lot lately. Because in California we don't have personal exemption 
for vaccines. You know, everywhere else you can say, I just don't believe in it, and you can get out of it. But in California in 2014, when they came out with that fake measles outbreak, they got rid of our personal exemption. So people are asking me, can we do that? And that's actually only one of the only ways to do it is to have a what they call a home-based private school. So you can get people from your neighborhood and your close relatives together, and they can be in a home school, and that would be considered um, a home school that's protected from um, vaccines. If you go to a private school in California, you still got to get vaccinated, and that's why we have the online portion because all we do is deliver the curriculum. You meet with an instructor every once in a while, and it could be, you know, it could be one person, it could be 20 in the classroom. But they still get if they're on the same level. It doesn't matter what age or, or age or what grade they on. If that is the material that they be they need to be learning, they can access that material at any time. So you have what they call synchronous, which is everybody is tapped in at the same time. Where you know the instructor and the classroom, and you have asynchronous, where you just get the material and then you guys practice on your own. So you get both of those. So you can do those both in a group. Or you could do it individually with just, you know, one person if you want to. So, yeah, there is a way to do group right. homeschooling. Um, absolutely. Because I don't I don't think there's nothing wrong with school per se, because I think back to when I was growing up. Going to elementary, middle, and high school with everybody from, well, maybe not high school, because in high school, if you live in the cities like Philly and like L.A., you know, you got magnet, you got technical high school, so you might not go to high school right. with everybody from your neighborhood. But right. it's a beauty in that. It's a beauty in learning with people from your community. And right, I think absolutely. The problem is is what our children are learning and how they're learning. Um, Correct. You know, we have these different schools of thought, and I just learned that recently, like two years ago, um, you know, with this Montessori phenomenon, is different schools of thought. So in public school, right. I, 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 I don't know the exact school of thought, but we learn the repetitious way. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, doing definitions and spelling words. Correct. We learn that way, but it's other ways and it's other schools of thought to learn that will be more effective. Um, Absolutely. Here in Philly, we got a lot of charter schools. So right. Like one of the charter schools is called KIPP. They have KIPP in D.C. They got, got KIPP in here. Baltimore. They got KIPP charter schools everywhere. So right. when you go into their classrooms, some students are on a blanket on the floor. Right. Some students might want to sit on top of their desk table. But as long as they're learning, they're, they're retaining the information and the way they teach. They don't teach in the way public schools do. They don't use that method. They use another method to teach the kids. And, and you know what's funny about that? It, it, it What's funny about that is the two dudes that created KIPP, they used to be teachers in a, in a public school. There was a sister who taught in the same building as them. And this sister would teach through song, through dance, and somehow her classes kept learning while nobody else's classes could learn. So they went into her class and started asking her, you know, how do you, how you do it? And, you know, there's documentaries on all this. And she t- told them, you know, I make it fun. I break it down to their level. I make them interested. I get, I make them want to learn the information. I don't give them anything. I give it to them when they're ready, and I make sure that it's in a fun, enjoyable way. 
they took her information, started creating these kits, and now you've got these charter schools all across the country. So essentially those kits, that's African-centered education, and, you know, a lot of us don't know it, but, you know, that's what it is. So you're right on point with that. And you know what's funny? They only have kits in black neighborhoods. You're absolutely correct because they're only in the hood out here in L.A. You're right. Right. <laughs> right. So, so you know, it's good all the way around. Um, also, we have enough – well, Philly is full of charter schools. Public schools, is they basically obsolete because they're, they're failing so much that charter schools take over the existing public school buildings. It's right. the same thing, but it's just – you know, it might be the same name, but it's Kip Martin Luther King or whatever the case might be. But, right, exactly. Um, we have um, – this other system of schools is called global leadership and um, hmm. global leadership in the morning at the elementary schools, you know, the kids, they got to wait in line at their room number and wait for their teacher, you know, that whole deal. And right. when their teachers come, every classroom has a song. And before they go in, in the morning, they out there dancing. Like right. It makes the learning environment better. You know what I mean? Right. They'll, they'll remix the current songs. Right. <laughs> it's something that's educational in the morning for the kids. Huh. They'll turn back that ass up to back that class up, huh? <laughs> yeah. So it gets the kids ready and wanting to learn. You know, um, right. when I was in high school, when we used to have to come in and, um, you know, we got to come through metal detectors and all that. When we used to come right. in school security guards, they used to have on, you might come in the building, they might be playing the Funkadelic. They might uh, be playing Anita Baker. They might be playing right, all right. these different R&B <laughs> love tunes in the morning to yeah. try to set our minds in a different, put our minds somewhere different. Um, and there you go. Make us want to come in there. You know, you hear the right tune, you want to be in school. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and when you think about, like how you said, how kids learn and how people learn, my right. favorite class in school was gym. <laughs> And Ooh, I think that's everybody's favorite class. You know what I mean? Your favorite yeah, class is, is, is art, is music. It's things that get you out of your seat. When you're in right. your seat all day long, not learning about anything, no. it's like it, it, it begins to be like Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. You got it. Um, also, we have a charter school here named Kepra. Um, oh, we have really? another charter school named Imhotep. Um, that's a high school. Okay. They're number one in Pennsylvania for all sports. And we talking about oh my God. Western Pennsylvania. We talking about Western Pennsylvania. Big diesel white boys been farming their whole <laughs> life. They're busting they at like basketball <laughs> and football. So and in the morning at MOTEP, in the morning they pour a libation. And they have morning meditations like it it's you know what I mean? Homeschooling in a group way where we can where we can give our kids the right knowledge. You know what I mean? Right. A lot of Absolutely. our kids, I know with me, um, we knew that they were teaching us lies, but we was disengaged. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of or us. Or being disrespected. Right. Right. Or being disrespected. A lot of us. A lot of us um, were Muslim, Hebrew, Israelite, 
Uh, right. You got some people's parents was in the move. Uh, some people's parents, the, the, the Panthers. So when we get out of school, we hearing that y'all crazy and y'all know what y'all talking about. And then right. when I come this day, I'm listening to lies. It's making me be disengaged. It's making me yeah. not want to come to your class. Anything. I had right. this one teacher. He, he was my American history teacher in 10th grade. His name was Mr. Munson. Now, my high school probably had about 1,700 kids in there that I was going there, right? Right. When I tell you, it used to be so many kids in his classroom. Like, I used to cut class just to go to his class. Wow. And he would only teach us African-American studies. He didn't care what, wow. they, what, what the curriculum was. He would go outside right. the curriculum. And he used to always you tell us, to. I don't want to see that stuff out here. Another one, right. my, my, my world history teacher, um, well, one of my world history teachers, um, our first day of class, right, my first day in ninth grade, I will never forget this. He made everybody squat. He told everybody to squat. And we like, huh? He was like, all y'all get out your seat. Get out your seat right. and squat down. I want y'all to squat for 12 minutes. He had us squatting for 12 minutes, made us get up. He showed us how to do the Scott Joplin, that, that dance. Ooh, the Scott Joplin. Okay. <laughs> and then he made all of us do the Scott Joplin. And most of us couldn't okay. do it. And he had a rubber band. And he tied the, you know, he put the rubber band around his uh, fingers like a gun. And whoever couldn't do the Scott Joplin right after squatting for 12 minutes, he would shoot him with the rubber band. And then, you know, he got into how, how they used to make us perform in slavery. You know what I mean? Right. Tired right. And make stuff. You know, he was, they was putting us into that mindset. Um, right. Most, most black schools in Philly, a lot of our teachers, because the schools are so violent, we had a lot of Afrocentric teachers, and we had a lot of teachers from the hood and the administrators right. in the school from the hood that cared and that told us right. the right things. You know what I mean? Uh, Absolutely. Our teachers used to us like, you know, black man, you don't need to do that. Right. You know, we had that. And looking yeah. back, to us having that, I would think like, well, then why was we so violent if we had what we needed to have in right. school? My English sports teacher in 12th grade, she used to always and tell us, and I'll forget her, she used to always tell us, I really don't want to teach y'all this. Because it's not a lot, and it's not going to get you nowhere. But I'm going to yeah. teach it to y'all anyway. You know what I mean? And I, yep. these kids don't have that because they got these 23, 24-year-old lily-white teachers that scared them, yep. first of all. Scared to death. Scared to death. You can't teach a child being scared to death. Mm-hmm. We, you, you know, growing up in the hood, we had teachers first day of school. Let us know. Let me let, let me let y'all little MFs know one thing. I will F all y'all up in here. I'm not playing right. this year. I don't care what your other teachers do. I'm not having it. And those are the teachers right. that you respect. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You respect me in the classroom. We're going to have to do a part. No, I said we're going to have to do a part, too. Uh, yeah. With uh, Baba. When he, yeah, so this is interesting. And this is what, you yes, know, what's needed in the hood. Yeah, very good. 
So we yeah, are no, excellent comments too, man. I appreciate it. And yeah, thank you. No problem. No thank problem, you, y'all. Okay, hotel. And uh, Baba, can you uh, tell the people again how they can get in contact with you if they're interested in the Jedi School of Learning? Yes, ma'am. Uh, the first thing you can do is go straight to the website, JediLearning.com, D-J-E-D-I-L-E-A-R-N-I-N-G.com. And you can access our information, our contact information, any courses that we have up there. Uh, right there. If you want to contact me directly, you can call me at 1909-576-0170. You can also email me at babakin2 at jedilearning.com. The parent, educator, student, looking for homeschool advice, private school advice, um, therapy, anything to do with the process of learning, please contact me contact us, especially when it comes to African-centered education and the seven liberal arts. So, you know, we always appreciate coming on Sister Bev's show. You see the type of guests we get. Um, he could have did his own show right there with just that last little 10 minutes. <laughs> so we get some powerful people on here, and I, I thank her for allowing me to come on um, and share well, this information with the village. Yes, and we appreciate the work that you do, and we definitely is going to do a part two. This is real interesting. This is what's going on. This is what we need. We right. the one that has to teach us, that has to show us. And so this, this is what time it is. So we appreciate you, Baba Kentu, and we look forward Thank to you. part two. Oh, Better love. Wait. Okay. Better love. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Better love. Taking my baby to school, then I pray for Cause you bitches, they never been cool Writing testament, painting pictures Put me in the Louvre, that's a definite Universal shift, I'm in the school A celebrity do not mean integrity, you fool I'm a good man, shake your hand Firm grip, fool, 72 wins, lost 10 Balling with the flu, more than 2 M's For sure, but add another 2 Little man, man, the big man, the GT down, flipping the kickstand, fool Bitch nigga, broke phone Trying to keep the balance, I'm staying strong Stop playing with me before I turn you to a song Stop playing with me before I turn you to a song Hey, bitch, I'm attractive Can't fuck with you no more, I'm fasting Ugh, bitch, I'm attractive Can't fuck with you no more, I'm fasting Ugh, be morality to wait Feedback on low latency I'm good in front of face That's my thoughts grow sacredly I'm running out of space Ask when is she okay? Never mind a honey cake Why you lying on Benjamin? He turning in his grave I be lying if I said I wouldn't get it Shit away, be a new Buddha I'm Christ with a shooter Pray to Muhammad I might nigga lose ya AP, Michael Friedman My friend's cooler Primary soda resale Face stupid I would never love my life On a computer Ikea get you life for it Chikabuya More power to ya Love him from a distance Why you always in the mirror More than the bitches And my cousin tried to sue me Like he got the privilege But I didn't lose sleep Cause I got the spirit Hey, rich nigga Broke phones Trying to keep the balance I'm staying strong Stop playing with me Before I turn you to a song Stop playing with me Before I turn you to a song Hey, bitch I'm attractive Can't fuck with you no more I'm fasting Bitch I'm attractive Can't fuck with you no more
that brother We dress up the score, give me that brother Spirit medium, I don't rap brother We headed there now, are you strapped brother? Hey, peacemaker, but I'm not naive brother hey, Gotta watch your homies and police brother hey, Cloud chasing, hell of a disease brother I'm fasting, four days out the week, brother I pray to God that you realize the entourage is dead I pray to God that you not lagging when you off the meds I pray to God she know them Cabo chips don't last forever Bitch, you argue with her mama, go and get them kids I pray to God you actually pray when somebody dies Thoughts and prayers, way better off timelines False claiming, not cute, I'm mortified The new earth and high pursuit, 200 lives Rich nigga, broke phone Trying to keep the balance, I'm staying strong Stop playing with me for a turn to a song Stop playing with me before I turn you to a zone Ayy, bitch I'm attractive Can't fuck with you no more, I'm fastin' Bitch I'm attractive Can't fuck with you no more, I'm fastin' Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.